0: So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
1: Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Today I'm speaking to the incredibly interesting Tony Riddle, aka The Natural Lifestylist. Tony is a natural lifestyle coach, and he's spent the last 18 years developing and refining a robust way of life based on the principles of a natural lifestyle. Central to his continuing exploration is the question, what makes the human animal successful in the modern world? We have a really interesting discussion all about the link between our disconnection from nature and the levels of depression and anxiety that we experience. Tony teaches us how we can rewild ourselves what we can do at work, at home and in our daily lives to connect back to nature and gain all the health and mental well-being benefits of doing that. And he shares loads of practical tips on everything from the plants that you need to have in your house to clean the air, to how to sleep better, to how to squat better and so much more. I think you're gonna really find this episode quite fascinating and mind-blowing. So let's get into the interview with Tony Riddle. I'd love to invite you to check out my new app, the Karma U app. We are so proud of this app. It's been about two years in the making. It's a great app, I have to say. It's not a crappy app that was made in a rush with bad design, It's it works incredibly well. There are so many tools in there, meditations, journaling, ways to track your progress. CBT exercises to help with anxiety. It really is like having a therapist in your pocket. You can find it in the app store. It's getting incredible reviews so far. The Calmer You app, please check it out. I think you're going to love it. This episode is sponsored by my favourite actwear brand, Sweaty Betty. Their all-female design team source the best technical fabrics, which means their products perform under the toughest conditions and feel amazing on your skin. All products are also wear a trialed by female staff to ensure they perform and flatter and fit the female body. If the staff don't love it, it doesn't get made. There are so many activewear brands to shop from, but Sweaty Betty is special because all their products from run and yoga to swim and ski are engineered to last. This is not fast fashion, it's high quality and I have several pieces from Sweaty Betty that I've had for years and I continue to wear and love. Sweaty Betty now has a host of sustainable products, including their Super Sculpt leggings made from post-consumer plastic bottles. Their Italian fleece has been replaced with a recycled cotton blend alternative, and they are reducing the amount of consumer packaging sent to customers. Sweaty Betty are offering listeners 20% off when you enter the promo code CARMAU on their website. You'll also find the link in the show notes. So 20% off at Sweaty Betty when you enter to the code U. That's C-A-L-M-E-R-Y-O-U. Check out their stuff. I think you're gonna love it. Welcome, Tony. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you today?
2: I'm great, thanks for inviting me in. Brilliant, I've had a, I've had a great day actually. It's been um, lots of nature today. So um, just literally arrived from Hampstead Ponds now and cold dip in the icy water. Yeah, sounds I can't beat that. Sounds energising. Yeah, <laughs> epic yeah, start.
1: I'd love to hear from you um, and for people who don't know who you are and what you do, what is it that you do and how do you help people and what's been your journey to to get to where you are today?
2: Wow, that's a big one, isn't it? Hi, my name is Tony Riddle. Yeah, I'm also known as the, aka the natural lifestylist. Um, What does that mean? Well, Before that, it's essentially just rewilding humans. Um, introducing them to ways of living that are more in sync with uh, human biology Um, and then bringing that forward into everyday environments to enable us to thrive, not just survive. And what I mean by that is most of us just survive and we don't even realise it. What we've normalised, you know, the anxiety, millions of different diseases, hundred different autoimmune diseases, it's just become normalised, right? So it's like, how do we... How do we get through that? And how do we see through it? And for me, it's always been looking at nature to have the answers. Like nature's the cure, let's say. And the more and more I went deeper, I went into that, the more that you can see that um, these natural beings of the world just don't have sometimes even words for what we have, like insomnia. There's no word for it in some of the tribes, right? Because they they have no connection to it. So anxiety or even cancers in some tribes, you know? Um, so for me, it was always about yeah, how do I find that connection? It wasn't really, <clears throat> it wasn't really resonating with people. They couldn't really relate to it. It's partly because we were using language like zoo humans and wild humans. You know, sounds great, romantic, but people didn't really relate to the wild human, and they also didn't like the fact it ought to be called a zoo human, let's say. So somewhere in the mix, um, I was approached by a, a editor from the Star Magazine, Sunday Times Style Magazine. Uh, and she was writing a piece on um, six best coaches, so my ego was like, "Ooh, six best coaches! Yeah, I'd love to do that." Um, and so we we sit down, we start chatting, and then she says, oh, "Okay, I was expecting it to be really about movement because she could see that there was a, an influence through natural movement with me and a lot of my clients." And then as I started to expand on the whole philosophy, it was not just about finding natural ways of moving; it was finding natural ways of sleeping natural ways of digesting, natural ways of eating, natural ways of breathing. And then the social community and the spiritual context of what it was to be a natural being. And she so, was like, okay, this is much bigger. So how about we do a full feature on it? Let's give you two pages. And then that became like nature style. Ah, the natural lifestyle. It was obvious for me after that. And then all of a sudden it was like waking up the next day and things just exploding because it, it was suddenly relatable, I guess. So, um, That's that's kind of where it's at now. That's kind of where I am at this part of the journey. I mean, leading up to that, um, yeah, it's been huge. It's been a huge journey. That's the unraveling of Tony, I guess, that's enabled me to sit here as Tony 2.0. I call him, you know. Um, So I had a upbringing in a village that was kind of a concrete existence, let's say, and punctuated in amongst that there was a little piece piece of nature that us us kids went to and um maybe an hour or so a week but it was a a moment to express kind of our physicality and connect to something deeper i guess you know partly we could just kick our shoes off and climb trees and play in the streams and and then suddenly it was back into the concrete existence like everyone else's experience as an urbanite um and tv and sitting in front of the box and um you know just Having, having that kind of social experience at the very beginning, that was kind of the templates. Um, ADHD, um, yeah, dyslexia, you could throw a lot into the mix really. And it was really just this, this craving for being outside. So I'd sit in a classroom, like tapping, looking out the window, but really with this huge desire to need to move. Um, and then did, had such a terrible education. It was like one of the worst, I think. Um, And then found myself in the army later on, partly to avoid um, the drugs and the alcohol and the crime that was basically just normalized within my social group. And it was a form of escapism. And so I found myself in the military and I spent three and a half years really again, I guess, going back to that one hour expressing my physicality as a young boy out in nature. That punctuated in amongst my week. I now had that in the army. I could really express that. Um, but then eventually it just got to a point where I, I just found myself a bit lost, even in the military. Um, and then unfortunately found myself dropping back into the same social patterns as what I've been trying to escape, you know, so it's kind of, there's roots in there um and then someone saved me they said well have you thought about if you thought about personal training have you thought about maybe have a look at personal training you're into physical self you look great and I was ah this this sounds great and so you can move into London I've got a gig maybe you can you can I can set you up so that was the next step for me and it kind of already I could feel ah this is for me so already I was I was exploring that um then I was uh, I had a position in a a personal training student my first personal training position Fortunately, I walked into a place that didn't have gym equipment, no resistance machines. It was just a studio, so you had to really learn your craft. And the people that were in there were mainly 40-something women. Their husbands were commuting into the city in the Malabon, and they had absolutely no interest in what the current paradigm, probably, of personal training was, which was a little bit sabotaged by bodybuilding and fitness models. And so it became about more core stability. It was just a new language I was learning, and I discovered Pilates. And then from Pilates, um, I then, skipping forward a few years, found myself in my own Pilates studio, one-on-ones and um, just joint sessions. Um, And then I took on a bigger practice. So I had like six practitioners working for me, all equipment-based. Loved the original philosophy. It made perfect sense to me um and there's images of joseph pilates you know he's a middleweight professional boxer lost an in a fight gymnast circus performer stuff that people didn't really know about him even his mm-hmm. cold immersion there's images images of him in his pants standing in the snow you know so um there was something really i was intrigued by it you know so i started to look deeper into that and i found his original system that was called controlology um, there was crawling patterns and more about body weight and understanding where weight should be even when you're standing and it was a very different terminology it was a very different language at that point point. and then I was involved with a company called Wild Fitness and Wild Fitness were had a retreat space in Kenya in Watamu and they were taking um, zoo humans and turning them into wild humans except they were still teaching the paradigm the current paradigm of personal training but just in nature so they kind of understood it. Oh, we take zoo humans into the into nature. That was the aspect that was working. It's just the understanding that there's there's an there's nature that can there's a filter for nature in everything we look at, right? So it could be the movement, the sleep aspect of it. So how do we wire that in? Um, so and, and and at that point, um, another great mentor of mine, Nicholas Romanoff, walked in and he helped me understand a specific posture that everyone walks into when they're running. Um, when you're climbing any particular movement pattern, you could observe it through his method called the pose, which was there's a skill and it has a technique and mind and a physiology to it. And suddenly I looked at my Pilates practice with that filter and it was like, Oh my God, no, people are just coming in with symptoms. Um, from a lifestyle it's not I'm just giving them symptom relief I'm not going to the cause I'm, you know I'm teaching them to lie down and move around on a piece of equipment to unravel the tension and their compromised body from their everyday lifestyle so what what creates that and it was like well, okay the obvious things are their footwear was one and then it was the chair okay sitting sedentary lifestyle so then <clears throat> if I if I wanted to if it was all about the money, I could have just kept inviting them in and just dealing with the same situation. You know, it's just hips and it's just feet and it's, and you can just correct their posture. But I started to look at, Oh, there must be a, a you know, a more natural system, a natural movement w- um, way of moving. And so another mentor, Owen uh, when who's a, um, he has a system called MoveNat, which is about observing certain movement patterns that we, that we all carry out in nature. Um, based on George Hebert's work. George Hebert was like a French Marine officer in the 1800s and studied all indigenous populations and realized that they had these incredible um, physicality, ability to move, and just compared to his own Marines, who well, could just outperform, let's say, and what is it they're doing differently? So that's kind of where the military assault course came from. That That's the origins of it. The observing they all could balance, run, lift, carry, throw, defend, swim jump there was just a whole protocol to it so irwan's work was very much like that but i could then apply nicholas's pose method to that so then i could see the appropriate pose and what was needed so what was happening was instead of taking what wild fitness would have called zoo humans and putting them through this exercise program and expecting a natural outcome i had to take them back so they understood the appropriate postures and techniques within those disciplines first and then their physiology would start to adapt to it. And from there, I opened another gym. I closed my Pilates studio. It felt very much like being a fraud, having that. Mm. Um, you know, again, I, you could carry on on that path and just give people symptom relief. We used to joke and it was like we called it movement therapy, but it was more like movement and therapy where people would come down. They'd lie on the reformer and they'd be doing a series of exercises, but they'd also be telling you about their problems, you see. So I was like, okay, it's still lifestyle. There's something in there. What is it there? What are the symptoms? And what's the cause? Let's go into the cause. So I started with movement. That was the very first layer of really, really just honing a movement practice that was natural to people in a gym facility. And three of us opened that practice. um, And we had different influences. And then Barefoot Running kind of came through with a book called Born to Run, which was Chris McDougall that blew things up for us. And we got involved with a barefoot brand who I now work with, which is called Vivo Barefoot. So that meant I could then look at the way the feet were behaving and have them perform naturally, but in an urban environment. So they had some kind of protection. Um, And then we understood there were particular postures and protocols that we could get people to just become more efficient as movers. Then eventually the philosophy started to open up and I piloted the first Wild Fitness um, retreat out of the Isle of Wight. <clears throat> so then it was an opportunity to bring more in, more of this natural movement rather than um, modern day exercise into a natural habitat. And there was more availability around sleep, more discussions around sleep, and then the core philosophy. And I started to branch off with another coach and then two other the two other people I set that business up jumped ship. So they moved out of the gym facility and then I, I, something made me stay. It was like the, I think it was the ego. And also I had my father's influence. He had a business, um, and I watched him literally just it, everything went in the business and we very rarely saw him as home on like Sundays, if we were lucky.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And we just watched it unravel, pretty much lost everything in that process, I guess, including him a little, you know, and something inside me, I felt like I was playing out the same pattern and I, t- I'd stayed in the business far too long um trying to support it with my own means in the end because we'd lost two other directors in the sense and then i was holding a big workshop and this kind of the, this is the turning point for me and people had come over from all over standing in a room and i'm there preaching about a philosophy about um zoo humans and wild humans and living naturally and a tube train kind of went past the building and in that moment it just shook the doors of the building and it was, oh my God, it was like, again, that the message of I'm a fraud. I'm standing here teaching people about how to live a natural lifestyle in an urban setting. Yet yeah, I've just worked 16 hours yesterday. I've had no sleep. Um, my diet's a mess. My skin's a mess. Um, I'm completely fatigued. I'm on the borderline of adrenal fatigue. I'm, partic- I'm just not happy. I'm basically um, probably depressed at this point. And it was just the moment and I'd, I'd gone bankrupt literally within a week after that whole thing, just let it go and just so I'd, uh, everything that I'd feared. I'd managed to just unravel within a week, the fear of oh, what if I lose the business, the fear of what people would think, the shame, the guilt and out of that adversity suddenly built Tony 2.0. And it was just, I think that was the adversity I needed at that time. Was the closure of a business that i've been d- deeply holding on to so i then went off on a bit of a journey and it was how do you how do you rebuild yourself so luckily, i had a very um supporting wife and kids at that stage that were just um you need to take as much time as you do so breath work came in for me first meditation um and then of course i had all the information had all the knowledge it was just now I had to experience it and put it into practice instead of just standing there in front of an audience telling them how they should be using these protocols it was like, ah, oh, I'm the man in the audience and this is what I need to be doing so I guess I had to experience it and then out of that, of course, you, you, you come out with wisdom you know, you have the knowledge and then you have to really experience it and I think unless you've gone through real anxiety and if you've gone through depression unless you've gone through breakdowns and you've had to and then you see them as breakthroughs that for me, that was the real turning point. And I could, people could relate to that again. It was like, I've been there. I know it feels rubbish, you know, but I also know you have everything inside of you. You're an amazing being to turn it around and be the change and then be an example to others. So that was kind of the, the, the meditation for me, going into that voice a lot, you know. <clears throat> and then more recently, I undertook a an event where I decided I wanted to um, show our human potential, uh, what our, yeah, human physicality. Um, and so I chose to run from Land's End to John Groats, which I did barefoot. Um, why barefoot? Well, because it kind of, you know, people, they can't relate to it to start with a lot, but it gets that initial, wow, that's, that sounds fascinating. You know, well, I'm just, I'm just gonna go and run the length of the UK, but I'm gonna do it barefoot. So it really raised that socially extreme eyebrow and 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 created a platform and with that platform it meant I could raise awareness for a bigger picture you know my whole thing's around living a natural lifestyle and reconnecting to people to nature and this was the real opportunity for that well here's what we can do we can run barefoot that's natural we should be able to get up and run each day that's also natural Um, but let's where's the stage for this well it's nature okay so how do we how do we do that so it was then an opportunity to, to raise funds for um six organizations and then interview sustainability experts along the route that was the plan with this idea that we're we're, we i mean there's so much around the environment and sustainability now isn't there you know and lots of people even striking in the streets but it's how many of those people are actually out in nature and connecting to it and really understanding what it is they're trying to save you know because if I can't relate to it and I can't connect to it, what chance do I have of saving something? If I, you know, if I'm not immersed in it. So from that, that, that kind of that experience, it meant that even towards the towards the end of the run, I I felt that I'd literally just become nature at one point. I was out there for so long in this meditation state of running, which I then called the pilgrimage for me. It was like an opportunity to come back with, wow, if you, this this is incredible. That if we're really if we're really out there for that long, you understand how precise it all is. And it's all happening for you. There were just people that would appear on the route exactly when I needed them, when I felt most broken, or um, someone they had to open a road for me, and it just happened this guy was there. Oh by the way, just to let you know, I've opened the road up for you. And you're like, What? You know, just they're there. They're yeah. just they're just there at that specific time. But usually we're so cluttered up with information or I have to be at this meeting or this appointment at this time we miss those cues those subtle nudges but this on this is i had an opportunity to really tune into it and then i and i faced adversity even on that i had a, a bad injury towards the end of it i'd managed to sprain an ankle leaping over something in a stream and i couldn't even load my um couldn't even load my left foot at that stage it was completely swollen <clears throat> really just brutal, brutal injury to get right at the end when, you, when you've got three days left to complete 30, ma- 30 miles a day for 30 days, that's the time frame I'd given myself. So then I, um, I then went through all the protocols I'd learned again. so for me it was another adversity, and now I have this kind of cave, I call it the pain cave, and there's a bear sitting at the back of the pain cave. And there's a log at the back of the cave and I go into the cave and I enter the cave and I sit next to the bear and I have a conversation with the bear and the bear in this, on this occasion said, um, it's okay for you. You're much stronger than I am. You, you can choose, you can choose to go out into the light or stay in the darkness at the back of the cave, out in the light or back in the cave. I can only sit at the back of the cave. So what are you going to choose? And in that moment, I was just, it was enough for me and it flipped the switch enable me to get my thoughts from being a victim that i oh no i'm not going to be able to run I'm not going to be able to complete this thing too i'm healing and it's in instances like that the adversity again you realize that it's all perception it's just literally perception it's a perception of a moment and that we are just a vessel and the mind is incredible really if you really want to go in there and unravel it and just see what's available human potential is way beyond what i'd expected and what i'd expect in my expectations going into the run again that was really about the physical self but it came out as oh my god the mind it's we're just incredible beings you know if we really let it go that's a that's a bit of a waffle
1: no that's so interesting what so this pain cave was that uh was that something that spontaneously came to you is that something a practice that you return back to or
0: what it's something that? I go back to. Yeah. So, it's,
2: um, in training, sometimes you know, if I if I if I was pushing it in training, of course, you get to the point where you feel like you're completely fatigued, and that's that's the cave. You have, you know, you have to basically somehow get yourself out of there to face the next session. Um, but again, I look at that through stuff I've had in the past when it's been breakdown, depression, anxiety, anything that was flagged up in the past. It's the same thing. It's just a matter I have to go into the cave. And most of us are just fearful of going there. And I think you have to go there. That's where the deepest lessons are. You know, We're so fearful of anxiety, we're so fearful of depression, but at times that's where the most valuable lessons are. And we come out of it a, a, a much stronger being, but it's having the tools and the skills to get out of the cave. That's, that's, where I, that's what I've learned now. You know, because we all go in there. I mean, it's just, again, like the, I was talking about the ponds, that's a mini hit of adversity for me. And I take a lot of people through that process or into the cold or into ice. And when they first arrive, you can see they're really, really, and you know, they're really, really anxious. That's the pain cave for them We're about to go into the cave. Right. And so what, what are the tools we can be using to be able to enter that and to down regulate and to see the adversity differently, that it's a challenge. It's a micro hit. We very rarely have real adversity, you know? Some of it's almost self-manufactured in a way, you know, like oh, I've, got, I've got a few emails on here that I know I have to deal with today, you know, and I can already feel like I'm a little bit upregulated going into them. So what do I do about that? Do I mean, do I stay upregulated or do I use methods to downregulate so I see it differently? What do I mean about seeing it differently? You know, we revert back to our earliest traumas the moment we're stressed out. It's kind of, you know, the stuff that's happened in the first early years, let's say, is what plays out for the rest of your life. That's like the templates. So up until the age of seven, let's say, those recordings that have occurred in those earliest years are what we play out for the rest of our lives. They're our templates that we've inherited through our tribes of influence or whoever. And the moment we're really upregulated, we start to go back into, say, the three-year-old or the four-year-old or the six-year-old. It comes up, right?
0: We don't know that
2: because it's just what we operate at. It's like a subconscious pattern that comes up. So do I want to answer my email in that in that mindset or do I want to get rid of the imposter and start to become the authentic self again? And that's what I learn within it, within the practices. Like breathwork is, is an incredible modality just for flipping that switch of perception to get you out of the cave immediately so you can become the authentic self again, answering the email rather than the imposter stressed out urbanite who's, you know, um, upregulated in a sense that might not be given the qu- quite the right response. And we can all relate to that. That's an email. That can even be a phone call. Um, and that as a parent, I see it. As a parent, it's like, you know, if you've got chaos going ar- around the home and... You maybe need to get an email done and but the kids are going crazy. Is it the kids are going crazy or is it just your perception of the kids going crazy? And the moment you step back from that and again, you you go and have a chat with the bear and he gives you some advice on, well, here's some breathing techniques you can be doing or um, at least stare at some nature. And there's amazing studies of what can happen just by immersing in nature for 20 minutes, you know. So in Japan, it's like they they took 260 individuals, studied them in 24 areas, and within 20 minutes, each one of those individuals has a 13.4% drop in their cortisol, their blood pressure and heart rate are dropped, and they'd return back to their parasympathetic rest and digest, so away from their sympathetic fight and flight. That's every one of those participants, right? So if we think of that, that's dropping them into that authentic self again. But we can't all do that in the office or say in this environment now, I might have been really upregulated. What did we do before we started? i have just come off the tube. We sat and we breathed for three minutes before you start and it just enables you to find you within the, within the chaos again. So that's, that's the key for me, really. It's just, yeah, it's always with us, you know, and it's just finding ways. How can, how can I get myself out of that experience?
1: And, and when you talk about breath work, <clears throat> what does that mean to you? And are there certain practices that you, that people can be trying today to, to help themselves?
2: Yeah, there's really simple techniques, right? So there's different, there's, it depends on the, where you are in the day. <clears throat> um, there's breath gurus out there. So I, I, I'll, I'll make it really simple and I'll maybe put a few of them in here. So the guy that I work with is Arthur Paulins. He's an amazing breath coach. Alan Dolan, he's another, he's known as the breath gurus. They work with some of the systems like transformational breath, um, some of Wim Hof's work and downregulating breath. And then there's really simple access, which is someone that we worked with, which is Eddie Stern's app, and it's just a breathing app you can download. And with that, rather than you having to count about breath, it just has a sound in the background. And you follow the sound with your breath and you can just go off. It's like you can it's like the entry into meditation you can find through that, just a simple breathing app. Um, so down-regulating breath means that you're dropping yourself into parasympathetic, which is, um, rest and digest, right? So it's a more restful state, heart rate, blood pressure drops, saliva will come up because you um, rest and digest digestion. Um, and then we have kind of up-regulating breath, which is about becoming more alert. So if I, if it's a three o'clock. 3.30 usually for me, I might feel like, oh, it's just a little bit, I'm dropping a bit here. So what can I do? I, I could go smash the caffeine or I could upregulate my breath. So then i choose more of a charging breath. So it's more of a <sighs> 10 cycles. It's enough just to make you alert. Just that that's simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just expand on that if you want to do 30 breaths or whatever. Um, You can feel a little bit tingly from that sometimes just because you're playing with oxygen carbon dioxide levels So we also use things like breath holds which has become quite popular with Wim Hof's method He's like the Iceman And then so on the final out breath of that You then hold your breath and it will just help balance that system again Um, Back to parasympathetic it's such an important tool this I mean I coach a lot of people in breath just purely again going back to parenting so I we could use this as an example coming in here. Um, I, I get onto the tube, tube's chaos, sometimes just getting getting out of the tube can be chaos, let alone getting onto it. Um, it's an alien environment, the air's not great, the lighting's terrible, so we've just normalized it, but on a subconscious level, it's just not a very natural environment, so you're never really gonna get a natural outcome. It's very difficult to become very restful in that environment. Um, then everyone else has the same experience so you're now surrounded by the energy of all of that which can feel quite anxious and then so i'm going to be upregulated a little bit anxious and then i arrive at home to my door and my kids have been waiting for papa probably for eight hours right and they wanted this amazing guy to come in the house who's their image of what papa is and what their expectations are yeah i have this craziness around me and i'm upregulated so I just, I will stop at the door and I just do a very simple, it would work out as like a four-second inhale through my nose, and then a six-second, and I just do ten cycles. And then I walk in the door, and then it's a very different experience I'm coming in with. It's almost like I've let it, le- left it at the doorstep, and I can walk in like Tony 2.0, not Tony Imposter again. So that's you know it's just Mm. working with different breath modalities, and I think you can explore with that. There's so many like box breathing people talk about, which might mean three seconds in, then you hold for three seconds, three seconds out, and then you hold for three seconds. Um, When is the best time for different breath techniques? Again, if you're upregulated, downregulate. If it's before bedtime, definitely just go to the long the long exhale. So it could be three seconds in, four seconds in, longer exhale. And then just five minutes of that, and you'll be away, and it just drops you into the rest and digest, rather than maybe a little bit upregulated, or you might have seen something or heard something just before bedtime. Meal time is another classic. So meal time, if you want to assist digestion, you want to downregulate. Um, if again you're upregulating, you're trying to eat, then. A lion walks into this room right now chloe and it's like, rah, you know and the lion kicks off and we have an option we can fight flight we can freeze and we do multiple f's and then we can that's it right um that's an acute response it's not a chronic response it's an acute response and in that acute response um, we have a regulatory system so our digestive system will will cut off right there's no point in digesting a meal and also it's hugely cost hugely um, costly to digest food so that energy is best spent to fight flight or freeze or whatever we're going to do because there's a lion in the room right now right so um i will my digestion gets shut off that means stomach acid enzymes all of that gone the next one is my um immune system there's no point in fighting off a cold i'd rather give it to the lion you know so immune system goes out the final one is hormonal system. No point in producing bam, bam. If there's a line in the room, that shuts down. So what are the three things we mainly see? are digestive issues, hormonal issues, immune system. It's simplifying it somewhat, but it's the best thing. And so with the digestive system, that's an acute response. I don't want that to be chronic. If it's chronic, I'm, there's no absorption. So you and I could be in sitting in here. Um, you might have the most incredible diet, but because you're upregulated, your digestive system's out, what are you absorbing i might have a crappy diet right now but be really down regulating an amazing digestive system i'm going to absorb more so you'll be overfed and undernourished you know and so we think we're doing the right thing around food groups but often the more often like it can be digestion i find that breath is a is a great opportunity just to down regulate you can already you already feel your salivary glands coming and and it's a great practice anyway it's a bit like saying grace or something you know and just preparing yourself for the food, mm. um, I think it's really powerful. So again, breathing for sleep, breathing for stress, breathing for digestion, and breathing if you're feeling low. There's, there's, it's, that, there's, it's an incredible practice if we really start to understand it and honour it. And I think if there's anyone with anxiety out there, or um, <clears throat> even depression, breathing is, is the go-to. It's mm. one of the best practices that will help you get out of the cave.
1: I love that idea of kind of using it as a, as kind of a, a pause and almost like a bookend before you go from work to see your kids you stop and pause and take some breaths before you eat before you go to sleep to actually shift your state a bit because often we're just going from one thing to the other and absorbing things as we go. Um, Absolutely. And it's so interesting what you're saying about you know being on the tube and around everyone and the lighting and the and so often we're not even... We're so, as you said, so used to that that it just seems normal and we're not even aware that it's a problem. Um, I just got back from um, staying with the tribe in the Amazon wow. for two weeks. Beautiful. And I came back into <clears> London. <throat> and met my boyfriend at a co-working space and I felt like I didn't know how to exist in, <laughs> in, the, in the city. I was like, not sure how to use, like, I don't know, the thing to get in the door or... And it took me a while to get back into it because I've been so just on a different kind of level of existence. frequency,
2: isn't it? It's Mm. just a completely different frequency.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'm so interested um, to hear more about, you know... This podcast episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Therapy has massively helped me in the past to make sense of my thoughts and process my emotions. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating with them in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it's professional counselling that's done securely online. This service is available for clients worldwide and BetterHelp matches you with a counsellor based on what it is that you want to work on and their expertise. It's more affordable than traditional offline counselling and financial aid is also available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. And BetterHelp are doing a special offer for Karma U listeners. You get 10% off your first month. When you visit, try BetterHelp. That's better, H E L P com forward slash karma you that url again try com forward slash karma you to get 10% off your first month's online counselling I often think I've had a theory and I think you're going to you know prove that theory that a lot of our anxiety is caused because we're so disconnected from our natural state
0: yeah
1: and um and we don't actually know how good we could feel a lot of the time. We're just, we have no idea because it's become so normalised for us to be in, in cities. Um, are there other things that you would suggest for people to be doing that can help them to connect back to, to that?
2: Absolutely. I think it's, <clears throat> it's really worth highlighting that, you know, about disconnection. So I, I've been lucky enough to train, I mean, some incredible beings, right? But I, I, it could be from teenagers through to the elderly, some 80 year old clients um from students through to billionaires okay flown around by private jet amazing lifestyle has been witness to it all but you know what if if their fundamental physical social spiritual needs aren't met, as in what's aligned with nature you know finding those natural ways of, of performing they're still pretty unhappy right you could be incredibly wealthy and your needs aren't met, you're still pretty unha- unhappy. And then it's establishing not what my wants are, what my needs are, you know? And so, and the good news is, but the more more nature I kind of introduced to their lifestyles, the happier they become, but the more successful they become. I'm not talking the, the modern day monetary ladder of success. I'm talking to successful as human beings. That's the thing. And we, and we very rarely understand how awesome, how amazing we are! We just we are literally awe inspiring. If you really understand what's where we've traversed, where we've come from, you know, we're talking like two hundred thousand years of the most incredible sapien species to get here today, right? And and so imagine just the environment we would have existed in compared to where we are today. Imagine the adversity we would have faced, right? So I think it's firstly just important to just kind of get a handle on that. Just understand that in inside all of us is this innately wild, connected, empowered being. That's that's in our DNA, it's in us, right? And just something happens along the way that pulls us off the path of divinity, let's say, right? Um, I have my um, discussions around schooling and stuff like that, but I think it's just, it, what's, it's, a, it's like a petri dish that we've been um, cultured into, let's say, what's been normalized in this petri dish. And Bruce Lipton's work's really great for this because it helps you understand um, Perception as a signal, and it helps you understand and understand how cells behave. So he's like the, for me, is like the granddaddy of epigenetics in a way.
1: Is he the author of Molecules of Emotion? Yeah. Also, yeah. Um, oh,
2: yeah. Um, biology of belief.
1: Oh, biology belief. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's biology the one. Of belief. Yeah.
2: So the fantastic thing is, this it could be a petri dish, and inside the petri dish is say a number of cells, and we are a petri dish of say forty-seven trillion cells in that dish, and what he's established is. One cell will behave, the others will behave the same way. Um, Also that if you take um, those cells and create three more Petri dishes and culture those identical cells into these Petri dishes, they will be cultured into whatever that environment is. So whatever your environment is today, your 47 trillion cells will adapt to it. And this is where we have a choice and we have to choose whether we want them to adapt to good or bad, because the ultimate human experience is adaptation and we will literally adapt to good or bad, right? Firstly, it's understanding what's good and what's bad. And for me, it's always, well, what do I put in my Petri dish? So what they noticed through his experience in the experiment is if you put toxic information or toxins into the Petri dish, the cells go into protection, which is a bit like the sympathetic system I was talking about earlier, like fight and flight. So the system will shut down and go into protection mechanism. And we want growth to be able to understand how to thrive. So that's survival protection and then if you put nourishing or nutrients into the petri dish or nourishing information into the petri dish the cells would go into a pattern of growth okay so then they're in parasympathetic a growth promoting state so then we need to say right okay what what is growth promoting and for me it's it's understanding what exists in nature again so we could talk about let's say what food would we want to introduce into a petri dish do we want to think processed foods um that we have no connection to that are maybe monocropped, that are destroying an environment that are covered in glyphosate um, pesticides um that may be in packaging that was also destroying the environment do we want that in our petri dish or do we want to think well i want to have food that's in nature which is organic um, which hasn't gone through a heavy process um that I know is then growth promoting, it's full of nutrients, it's exactly where it's came from is the earth. You know, I am the earth, I'm part of the earth, the plants, the rocks, and the animals. I need need nature to go in, right? Not something that's abnormal created in a laboratory. One will have one experience, one or the other, right? Water, let's look at water. What kind of water would I want to put in my petri dish? Do I want um, municipal water that's maybe has some chemicals in it, maybe estrogen, maybe, um, chlorine in there because we need chlorine in there to clean because it's such an old system every now and then you've got the whiff of chlorine will come for your taps do i want that in my petri dish or do i want to think about spring water or water systems that can purify right then we can go movement okay what kind of movement do i want in my petri dish and this is tricky for us right because we're a sedentary culture i don't have any chairs in my house right and i don't have any chairs in there for a reason Is because there's when you observe people in nature in the natural petri dish in that environment they don't have chairs right but they have these amazing physiques you know we all see them on on the front cover of nature magazine these amazing beings that have beautiful postures um beautiful physiology and what is it they're doing differently because you know the hads are still sit for nine hours a day they just don't sit in chairs they're on the ground and then you observe there's like around 100 different rest positions that can can be performed on the ground and each one of those rest positions is a micro element of the macro skill of standing up and being upright and then performing, walking, running, lifting, carrying, all those things. So, In the roots of that is a a movement system that just exists on the ground and we have one chair. So the chair goes into me into the more protection mechanism in that Petri dish because it unfortunately creates a compromised posture, um, gets us locked in the hips. um, We create a C-shaped spine core stability goes out glutes switch off hamstrings get tight i get locked in the ankle and then when i go to stand up i'm now walking from a completely different physiological and anatomical system what i should be therefore it's compromising me then i go to a class like i used to have a pilates studio to go and unravel it somehow but actually if i didn't put the information in in the first place or i at least had a practice in like chair care or um I call it chair sitting, sitting, offsetting, offsetting now. So it's like, right, I sit for this amount of hours, right, let's get back to the ground and help unravel it. It doesn't mean yoga, it doesn't mean Pilates, it just means adopting natural sitting positions. positions. That's what we can be doing in the Petri dish. So if you are Netflix binging at home, go on the ground and just play with different rest positions like squatting, kneeling, um, shin boxing. Um, getting yoga poses or long sits or straddle sits or there's, there's multiple sitting positions that you can choose which will just help your overall mobility and posture and create a stronger yeah. physical self which then is much more powerful to go out into the world you can absorb more in a way if your physical body is actually stronger um so that's what's that that's movement that's um water food so um we can sleep right so sleep's a huge one isn't it so we all think we have a good handle on sleep and yet if i start a workshop around this petri dish model how many hours would i need um how many hours sleep do we need and it can be probably eight hours seven hours you know and we kind of lost sight of how many hours it we need individually for a start because we're all different but also we've lost sight of what actually happens in nature compared to what happens in the urban environment, because the urban environment is natural. So we can't really, you know, we don't get a natural outcome. So it's like, how do we understand what natural sleep is without going into nature and observing what happens there? Most of the sleep studies in the books I've read are pretty much around what happens in the laboratory experiment. So they're in sleep experiments. Is a laboratory sleep experiment going to give you a natural outcome? I'm not so sure. Um, Yet there's there's Professor Siegel from the University of California went to um, study three different tribes, different geographic locations. And they discover that um, not one of those um, tribes people are sleeping for eight hours, like 220, um, sorry, 99 members, 33 members in each tribe, studied for 1,165 days. No, not one of them sleeping for eight hours. It's between 5.7 and seven hours, that's it. What they do notice is the difference is the environment again. So the difference is in that Petri dish environment, it is where the toxins and the growth will come in. They don't have the ability to create sunrise at sunset. So there's no sunlight ability to switch a light on, in other words, and create light. So they manage to down-regulate their system. And through that, um, the air temperature is cooler at night of course they have a fire so they always get up to tend to the fire so they're never asleep um, for the whole stretch they wake and sleep they wake and sleep they wake and sleep so they look after the fire look after the young they fix tools they smoke and they party Um, they don't have a word for insomnia Um, and they don't have the chronic diseases we are led to believe we would receive from a sleep debt or not achieving eight hours and that's, for me, was game-changing because most of the successful people I have coming in don't have the opportunity to be sleeping for eight hours. They're quite on it, you know, and it was really, they were getting more and more stressed and you could see that then you would create more inflammation and more disease just from the stress of not getting the eight hours. It's like, how do we, how do we alleviate that? Okay, look at these guys. Not, not one of these people are sleeping for eight hours. They're in amazing shape, they're incredible beings, but let's have a look underneath it, what is happening. And we know that around that fire, they're not absorbing crazy information at night. No one is saying around that fire, um, um, the village next door are going to come in here and rob us and stab us and shoot us. So that's the movie influence that we, Mm. the the TV or the screen is the fire. So we want to make sure of what information am I absorbing at night? I want the romantic firelight conversations that have been passed down for generation to generation to generation and the wisdom that comes with it rather than toxic information that's going to trigger something within me before i go into a sleep cycle you know and regardless whether you have a breathing approach or breath approach to downregulate, that can't go unseen it's been seen so your subconscious sees that as something you're entering sleep with um the other one is temperature and then the other one is air quality so um I've now been sleeping in the same room. We've been in our, this apartment for a year. So I've been sleeping in the same room, the same sen- sensory experience, the same straight lines, linear approaches um, for a year. And if I get the sleep studies right, then I should be in there for eight hours. So I'm gonna be breathing in and out the same materials and the same material experience for eight hours a day for a year, you know? So really it's about, what. Right, that's where we need to be looking at I want neurotoxins in in, in the air itself, you know, because that's being kicked out from um, the paints, the mastics, the glues and Mm -hmm. the materials in your room. So it's like, how do I get, how do I work with that? And it can be plants, right? Okay, it's great to have nature in so we can bring more nature in. That helps stimulate our ancestral eye. We know that um, taking people out into nature, they get dropping cortisol. The same thing happens if you show someone a flick book of nature. Here's a nature scene and they go, ah, and they downregulate. Here's an urban setting, and they upregulate. Okay, so you can go nature scenes in that environment. That will help downregulate plants. Help them purify the air. Um, there's a huge NASA study on um, recommended plants. Ten recommended plants for air purification that will deal with uh, formaldehyde, benzene, xylene, main neurotoxins. Um, best ones I found are like peace lilies because you could go away for two weeks and you don't have to worry about them. They are so robust. Even if they're drooping, you come back, just give them a little bit of water. So you don't have to have that anxiety about, oh, my plant's going to be okay. You remove that, they're just really robust, they can cope. That's air purity. And then there's lighting. So the lighting is probably the most important, really, in the sleep realm. Because, again, it goes back to their ability in nature not to be able to turn the lights on. And what lighting can do is it can suppress melatonin, which we know as a sleep hormone. right? We all understand that one as a sleep hormone. It's kind of not doing it justice by just calling it a sleep hormone. So melatonin has um, two main processes in digestion. Um, one is um, it down, it basically is the regulatory system for ghrelin and leptin, two hormones. So ghrelin's process would be if ghrelin is up, then I need to eat. And, um, The idea is you want um, ghrelin out and then leptin as leptin comes up it says "I'm, i'm satiated i've had enough food so imagine they're like that ghrelin's here i want ghrelin to drop and leptin to come up melatonin's role is ghrelin and leptin that's its key role so if you don't have melatonin in your system in the evening then you face oh i'm really hungry right now and the other voice of i haven't had enough food yet and basically by 10 p.m at night melatonin should be at its peak it should be peaking like 10 p.m so imagine if it was around the circadian rhythm or lighting experience the sun goes down and then by 10 p.m those those hormones are coming into play so melatonin being one of them um, that's one of its roles and then apoptosis which is transforming unhealthy cells into healthy cells that process is also driven by melatonin it's one of its key roles and so we start to see um cellular issues coming in there's lots of studies around cancer even now with um, melatonin and night shift workers versus day shift workers and so they show with um, night shift workers like 35 percent higher rates of breast cancer prostate cancer um, versus day shift then you look at the nhs study that look at blind people so blind people aren't exposed to the the blue and green spectrums that would suppress melatonin and yet they have something like 11 hours of melatonin in their system So we know, really, the peak would be 11 hours if we could get to that. Um, And if if that's not enough, really, for the listener, they they show three chambers. So there's a dark chamber, which is the sleep experiment in the laboratory. Then they show the simulated um, night shift worker. So he's in a brightly lit, they're in a brightly lit environment. And then they show the same night shift worker in a brightly lit environment, but wearing blue blocking glasses, which we're hearing about a lot now, right? So then when they study their urine urine test for melatonin in the morning, the experiment where they're in darkness, pure darkness, the laboratory, um, they have high melatonin. The ones that are in the simulated work experience with the bright lights have no melatonin. And the group that were wearing the blue blockers have the same levels of melatonin as the dark sleep experiment. Exactly. It's a game changer because then you know that you're going to sort out the digestive system, you know that you don't have to be panicking about receiving eight hours sleep because you're basically functioning pretty much like the hunter-gatherer that will sleep, wake, sleep, wake, sleep, wake throughout the night. So for me, as a parent with four kids—a um, ten-year-old, an eight-year-old, a three and a half, and a, he's nearly three months now—I'd um, probably be dead by now if I listened to the science, right? Because we're up throughout the night. You know, it—it happens. We co-sleep as well, and both. It's probably one of the most new noise eaters i've ever heard right now and i wait i wake with it so i wake but i know that my environment my petri dish is set up for growth so we have clean air in there we don't have any toxic lighting toxic materials or toxic information around us at night and therefore i wake up in the morning and i get on with my day i'm up at 5am i hit the mat do some mobility some breath work but i'm i'm on it you know and it's And I'm also not stressed about not hitting the magic number of eight. It's all about the habit and the the environment. So always think about that, going back to the Petri dish again. Think about your environment and what it is I can put in that Petri dish to make it growth promoting. That could be a simple thing like your desk. We're at a desk right now, okay? So how do I turn my desk from being a compromising desk into a growth promoting desk? Firstly, if you have natural light in there, bring something natural in. If there is no natural light, bring a nature scene in, something you can look at, but also that you're familiar with. Maybe it's a favorite walk that you go on in nature so that your, your mind is already familiar with the setting and you can, you can relate positivity to it. So it could be a favorite tree even that you sit under and you take a breath or a moment or you read under. or like this morning, my walk to the ponds, I love that. There's a, there's a beautiful setting there as the sun comes up over the ponds that perfect setting and you just have that on your desk again going back to the flip book they're showing already studies show that that's enough to down regulate your system and connect to something natural again and the more we connect to nature the more we see who the authentic self is in a way um sitting right chair care um some hr departments are fine with standing desks others hate it so again you can slide your chair away if you have the um, standing desk hate campaign you just slide the chair away hold the desk do a few squats and then have a little walk around and come back to your chair so every 25 minutes ding timer goes off go off come back to your mm-hmm. seat again it will help creative flow rather than just blood stagnating in the hips from sitting um, and the key is movement here it's just try, try and get movement back into that cellular experience nature scenes um if you work late blue blocking glasses there's so many varieties out there at the moment you can really play with it i can send you some links to some stuff for your listeners um there's some that make you look a bit more like bono because they're quite amber and there's that you might get away with at home or um i've got one guy who has a band so he started wearing those they're quite cool um or they have regular ones that look like reading glasses people say i didn't know you read i didn't know you needed glasses no 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 they're just just my um just my blue blockers you know so um that's simple. Um, as much nature as you can bring into that environment again. And then if you can, you know, I, I did a talk in Santa Dam we, we, we looked at the air quality in there. And it, was, it was terrible on their whole floor. So it's like, right, okay, whose responsibility is it? Like the head of their team? Okay, it's so your responsibility is to clean up the air. You need air purifiers in here. You know, that's, I mean, it's a given. It's like they, those guys might be in there for 10 hours and you could really smell the, the, the rubber, the glues and everything within the building it's just they'd normalized it. So people that have been working in there for a while, they're, they're just ignorant to it. I walk in, it was like, whoa, this is really strong in here, you know, headache by the end of the day. So yeah, d- simple things like that, they're just, again, it's about emotional well-being, again, isn't it? The, the closer you can get to get those needs met, you start to remove the suffering and the, the symptom of the environment and the experience of it. But there's also perception, isn't there? So part of that Petri dish, I think with Bruce's work, But they notice it's also the signal that gets introduced to the Petri dish would also dictate what the um, reaction, whether it is protection or growth. So don't go out there freaking out that, oh, the air quality, I can't move, I can't do this, because ultimately it comes down to perception. And knowing that you have a choice, you don't have to just sit there for eight hours a day, you do have a choice. You can move the chair back, you can hold the chair, you can do squats. You can go for a walk, you know, like the bear at the back of the cave, you know, you're stronger than I am, you get to choose. So it really is a choice. We can, you can literally change your perception in a breath, you know, of how we're, how we're feeling. That's how powerful we are. We just lose sight of how much power we hold, I guess. Yeah.
1: so fascinating. And I wonder in the coming years, if, you know, the governments and, you know, employers are gonna have to take note of these things and design environments Otherwise, people are going to be too sick to, to sort of function, I hope.
2: I almost think we're seeing gets that. Out there, we yeah. are seeing that, aren't we? We're seeing the symptoms of it. Um, and it's almost getting younger and younger. I don't know about you, but I mean, because I'm a coach, so I see it. But originally, I'd see um, like 40s going into 50s burnout, <clears throat> you know, in the city. 20 years ago, maybe, when I first started coaching in the city, And then then I start to sit in the forties and then thirties, and I've just had twenty. I had twenties in burnout. I mean, that's seriously something showing that. You know what is it? What what's happening here? And I I think partly we walk around with a permanent office in our hands, in a permanent distraction. So if I go back to um, there's a there's the gen it's called uh, Peter Kahn it's called generational environmental amnesia. It's kind of like we forget, and this is the new norm. So the like my son Bo has just been born, animal populations, human populations, and the way the globe is right now, that's his new norm. That wasn't my new norm when I was born. And my parents' new norm and grandparents' new norm. So we know that already, Say, so, well, it's going to be more now, isn't it? Because we lost like a, what was it, a billion animals in Australia, right? So we could have said previously um, 60% of wildlife has been wiped out on the planet, right? Um but we've also lost sight of like what it is to be wild, right? what it is, how do we view what's natural? Because we're losing even the natural beings of the world, like the wild beings of the world. And the ones that are there, we're not going for advice and wisdom. I posted something about Australia the other day. It was probably a bit too soon, but it was just felt like, you know, what if we, what if we actually spoke to the indigenous populations of the world to find out what it is that environment needs? Because, say australia for instance aborigines have been there for 60000 years right but yet we're flying in environmental and regenerative experts from different continents to look at that environment when we could be inviting them into to the table you know and it's kind of we've that's the, almost like the the amnesia part of it we're, we're forgetting that these these people have been around for thousands of years with an ecosystem so much so that they are still the ecosystem they're not separate from it so, I'm sure they have some amazing wisdom to impart there, you know, even just understanding what we can probably access in ourselves, not just how we can save an environment that we inhabit today. It's just, I guess, dropping the ego somewhat and reconnecting with what would be the ecosystem as they have or as they do. Um, so, go, so, so, sorry, go, so going back to. Um, so, Bo's interpretation of the world is very, very, very different, you see. So, for him, who knows what he's going to have in his hand so i i know there's a mobile phone here and i know that okay i'm going to pick it up at some point i'm going to look at it and so i have that already in there but i think apple's original intention was that this would be an extension of you so this actually would become an extension of you over time the danger again that you know if i speak to a lawyer let's say his name's lawrence um Lawrence Middleweek is a client of mine, he's like 70, how old Lawrence is Lawrence, 75 maybe, sorry Lawrence, I forgot that wrong, um, and he said, when I started out Tony, as a lawyer, I would write a letter to someone, and I would have a week to respond, right, I'd have a letter, a letter would come in, I'd look at it, I'd go and do due diligence, I'd find out every little, th- every little detail, and I'd make sure it was all in that one letter, because I know it would take a week to come back, and off it went. And then a week later, he'd get the response again, right? And that's how they dealt with it, right? And then he said, fast forward, the fax machine came. And then that became like three days, maybe a day. And then he said, the internet came. And then it was like, now it's just got to the point where it's like, boom. And he said, the problem with it, it's not just, he said, it's great, if it was a great response, but everything was accurate because people put the effort into the same effort as what they did when they were writing a letter uh, all those years ago, I wouldn't have to keep firing emails back and forth. But people aren't as accurate in their work even now because instant report, um, inst- instant results. It's like, ah, OK, and then the anxiety comes in. Oh, no, what if I don't respond in time? You know, so he's he's even noticed it. you know, it's like ah, OK, he can feel how ramped up things are and also how it must be for younger generations because they haven't even had that as a template to understand it or experience it. And so then you don't i guess you don't have the mechanisms in place to deal with it as you feel it's coming in and again that's going back to you know simple things like breath work like my dad years ago used to sit with his eyes closed you know and everyone going what are you doing he said i'm just resting my eyes but it was a form of rest um, meditation almost just sit there in the armchair just zoning out but we tend to not have that now we kind of have a device in our hands when we should be zoning out so again you you do have a choice there so you have a choice maybe to put it away and put your attention back on your breath. If, if you're even on Instagram staring at stuff that you can feel you're, you're upregulating and anxious, don't choose to do it, choose to pull away from it. Even delete accounts that you find are upregulating you. Mm-hmm. You know, why even have them in there um, to separate from it? And just, you know, just take it upon yourself to manage yourself, manage your, you have to manage your own stress in that sense. Again, it's your Petri dish, not someone else's and your interpretation or perception of the world is entirely yours. So you and I are sitting here and we have a complete different perception of the reality of this room right now, based on our, our experiences throughout our life. You know, how we interpret something is uniquely as. you know,
0: mm-hmm
1: so fascinating um I, i'm often thinking things at the moment to do with the the climate crisis and people's anxiety around that and whether this will almost be our way out of the um fast pace of life and disconnection well my hope is that we can learn to connect more with nature because of this and that it will slow us down because we'll i think in a few years be working four days a week because the economy can't continue to grow and grow and um, that might cause us to slow down. We might, um, you know, connect more with each other and communities more. Um, so I'm hoping that there's a positive side to the climate issues that's going to help us to remember, remember where we came from. Absolutely, I think yeah. there's an element
2: of you know, I always take it back. I think there's an element of we have to save ourselves as well, right? So it's like save yourself before you save others, and also. Be the change, I think, is the most important, because, you know, no one likes to be told what to do, really. It's like, oh, you, you got to do this, you got to do that. It's really just be a great example of, of a human being, and don't just do it for you, you know. I mean, I have kids, so for me it was an easy one. It was like, I have kids, so I mean, how do I want to be performing as a human being? I want to be the best example of a, of a masculine as I can for my kids. I have three daughters to begin with before Bo came into the world. And it was like, well, how do I become like mature masculine, you know? And part of that has to be this interaction with nature. I have to understand that I, I need them out. I need them to understand nature. I need them out in it um, more so than I had when I was younger. And the more I can have them connect to nature, the more they understand they are nature. And the more chance we have of them saving nature, because this isn't about us anymore, really. It's about the next generations, as Greta Thunberg is quite frankly pointing out, right? And um, so for my kids, they spend they they're, they're out all the time. I just I just I want them to just feel that they are a bit like the indigenous populations again. It's like studies around um, play, for instance, with um, Peter Gray. He looks at you know kids in um, in tribes, and they ask, well, how, how does childhood look like? And they'd ask ten leading anthropologists, and it's like, well. It looks a bit like this. So they just play all day from infancy through to the age of 16 and they learn everything they need to learn about their adult environment and then they walk into their adult environment. No adult intervention. No one teaches them anything. They just instinctively know what to do and they just move into it. They've learned to track, make fire, build shelter. They've learned everything about that environment to become an adult species. So... I guess we need to as an adult species understand that the infants through to the age of 16 are playing at being us. That's what they're doing before they move into the adult experience. So do we want them to play out being natural beings that actually want to be saving something bigger than ourselves um or do they want to see us being destructive human beings right with poor habits and things are leading to almost like the extinction of our own species, if we put it so bluntly, mm. you know. Mm. So if you really care about your kids and you really care about raising kids, you have to understand, well, why are you raising them if you're having a toxic relationship with you and the planet? Because you have to understand there's, the chances are that they might not ha- reach your age if that is the case, right? You know? Mm. So it's like, well, how do I be the best example of that? And again, just... Go, look to nature look to the more natural ways of being and but you have to separate in a way through modalities like breath work and meditation to become more and more authentic authentic authentically you rather than the anxiety or stresses around you but then unfortunately because we are so stressed we bring in pacifiers and stuff to help um deal with the stress right which is symptom relief right so if i'm stressed out to the eyeballs and i could i have a choice so i go out and get drunk or i can i can do breath well, go and immerse myself in nature or or have a community and speak to people and sit around and communicate with others or go and do different practices you know or i could smoke or i could do this it's just understanding again about the petri dish isn't it And the mm-hmm. petri dish is nature and it just again i think it's very important for us to see it that It's not really about us, it's about the generations that are observing us. That whole, it sounds cliche, that whole be the change that you want to see in the world. It's really being the change that you want them to see in the world, you know? And if you go really into the early layers of it, those first six years is Bruce Lipton's work again. The first six years are the tapes you play out for the rest of your life, they're your observations. What do we want them to observe to play out for the rest of their lives? What do we want them to normalise? You know, I'm having to rewild, reconnect and become empowered. They're innately wild, connected and empowered. Right? I have to go on retreats, workshops, go to the Amazon, drink ayahuasca, smoke toad venom, go, you know, take mushrooms, do what I do to unravel and unravel and unravel. Whereas they're just, they're just innately nature. That's who they are, right? So that's our responsibility, I feel is that's probably more important is understanding this is why we need to reconnect to nature it's it's for the next generations to inherit something to hand over you know that stewardship if you like of the planet
1: thank you so much for sharing all of that it's absolutely fascinating i hope that people listening can take some things some practical things away and just get a bit more inspired i know i've got lots of ideas now for things that I want to be changing more plants is definitely one of them
2: oh they're so easy as well aren't they I, I love yeah, that I yeah. mean nature scenes and plants I mean they're so it's such an easy thing to bring in right mm, mm. um and then materials you know just think of that go mm. and have a look at bi- like simple things like biophilic design just research a bit of biophilic design then you understand it's about biophilia, bringing nature in 83 percent of the UK live in urban environments and we spend a whopping 90% of our time indoors, right? Some it's more, right? So to give you an idea, 10% outdoors would mean two hours, 24 minutes outdoors. And that doesn't mean in the shops, on the public transport, um, shopping, because that's still an indoor experience. It means actually outdoors. And so what I, I often ask people to do is set the timer and just set a timer for two hours, 24, and try and get try and get those gains in Uh, weekends are a great opportunity for that but actually try to get to nature try and really just immerse in nature have that experience that's i mean that's that's so important for Mm -hmm. us but it's just understanding that we we have this extraordinary amount of time spent indoors so that's one way of doing it: is to go outside to earth or we flip it and we just bring nature in right so just bring as much of nature into your experience you can and this comes down to multiple layers there's like a sensory system and there's a then your then there's like your microbiome right so your sensory system is we could say that if we just go from the same linear experience like we're in now this box and this is your commute to get to here and then you walk along the corridor the same linear corridor and you go down in the same lift and then you go to the same mode of transport and then you arrive home into the same dimensions and linear experiences as you've been doing for maybe 20 years some people where's the new information you expecting to from a neuroplasticity perspective rewire and wire your brain you know so it's Mm -hmm. how do you find new experiences and so try and change your environment is one getting out into nature is another but bring more nature in because nature is forever changing it's like a it's forever changing cycles so that will give you a new stimulus and then there's also the microbiome so we have microbiome kind of dysbiosis there's an imbalance Um, that doesn't just mean in your gut it means everywhere so we're literally inhaling microbiome right now in this environment and so I can keep that in the linear gray experience of the urban environment or I can go into nature and breathe nature and be in that biome which would then create more of a symbiotic relationship because I'm back immersed into my natural habitat there you go.
1: That's going to stay with me, that image. So of... that's
2: like an indoor-outdoor. Yeah, um, yeah. And understand that's who we are. And whereas in, in nature, again, it would have been the, like with these tribes we're talking about, it's probably the flip, 90% outdoors, 10% indoors.
1: Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do we
2: balance that? And then have a play, you know, how much time you can spend outside. If you've got kids, basically hand it over to them. It's their experience. They can draw maps on where they want to take you and hand it over to them at weekends. Where mm-hmm. do you want to go? What, what? Where can we go in nature? You know. And have them set the timers and have them and also there's no such thing as bad weather it's just you know poor clothing choices um yeah just again just play with it nature's the best way to access what it is to be human i think the best way that you can really identify what your authentic self is once you get away from the the chaos of that urban setting
1: this has been so, so helpful. Thank you. Where can people find out more about you and what you're doing and what um, you offer?
2: Mainly on Instagram, actually. I'm um, known as the natural lifestylist at the natural lifestylist on Instagram. Also, my website is tonyriddle.com. dot com. That's easy, isn't it? I forgot my own website. <laughs> tonyriddle.com. And I also have some tutorials on there. So, going by chair care and stuff like that, I have a squat tutorial on there which teaches people how to get to a flat footed squat. And other rest positions that you can be choosing on the ground so we can put a link in there to that as well and then coming up you'll there'll be a fair bit of press i think coming up because we're going i'm going to be running um i'm doing the three peaks you know the three peaks yeah um and normally you would normally you you drive between the peaks and you do you, you can choose 24 hours or 36 hours and the whole distance together including the peaks and the drive is 485 miles so I've decided I'm gonna run the whole thing rather than drive in between. So I'm gonna do the 485 running, including the three peaks, and I'm gonna turn it around in nine days. That's, yeah, so three is the, three is completion and nine is transformation. So I'm gonna, that's that's my, that's the next site.
1: When is that happening? Is that's, that? That's not
2: till May. It's, I'm, I'm okay. looking to finish at the top of Ben Nevis on my 45th birthday. So I'm I'm super pumped about that. I'm really looking forward to that. And again, we're gonna I'm gonna pull it back around into sustainability, and the environment, as the as yeah create a platform for the bigger picture, which is our environment that we should all be um, putting our attention on right now. I believe.
1: Mm-hmm. Brilliant! I look That's forward me. to following your journey with that. Thank you so much. Thank, thank, thank you. you so much for listening. I really hope that you gained a lot from this episode. Come on over to Instagram and let me know. What are you taking from this episode? Find me at Chloe Brotheridge. And I would love it if you would leave me a review in the podcast app or in iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast, leave me a rating. And is there someone in your life that would really benefit from this podcast? You can let them know by sharing this podcast. I'd be so, so grateful. So I'm just wishing you a wonderful week ahead, sending you loads of love. Hopefully you'll tune in again and I'll see you soon. I have a load of free resources on my website to help you to become your calmest self. Head on over to karmayou.com forward slash free to grab those freebies now.